Bible to it, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. As you turn in there, I want to reemphasize what Pastor Rick mentioned about the upcoming family conference at the end of February with uh, Will and Bill Rice. We're gonna, it's going to be on a Saturday afternoon where uh, with also a supply dinner and then also all day Sunday, all the message on Sunday. He'll be dealing with messages for marriage, for parenting, for grandparenting, just every uh, person within a family, he's going to be addressing a lot of issues, and we're going to have an insert and bulletin in that this coming Sunday, and have a sign-up sheet for those who will come and join us. We hope you plan to be there for that. Again, it's on Saturday the 24th, I believe it begins about 3 o'clock, and then uh, also on Sunday the 25th, so please join us if you would for the uh, family conference. They have this family conference every year at the Bill Rice Ranch, which is in, uh, up in Tennessee. And I always wanted people to go, so I brought them down here so we can have it here. So uh, I encourage you to join us for that special family conference. Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 are seven letters written to seven individual churches. These are churches that existed at the time when John wrote this. And we're on the second church. We did not finish it for last week, so I'm going to do a quick review from last week. In your bulletin, there's an insert on the front page. has most of the answers. These are what we covered last week, and I will review those. And then where we left off, we have some blanks. So we're on the second church in chapter 2 in verse 8, the church of Smyrna. And so listen, again, if you allow me, let's read verses 8 through verse 11. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have a red letter edition Bible, this is in red letters because this is Christ himself speaking to these individual churches. And so in verse 8 is his letter, his message to the church of Smyrna. It said, verse 8, it says, Unto the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These things saith the first and last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation, and poverty, but thou art rich. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the, uh, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil will cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Then he concludes in verse 11, he that hath ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcomes shall not be hurt of the second death. So if you take out your notes there, please, and look, we're going to quick review what we covered last week. We're going to, number one, the description. This description is Christ has given of himself. Remember, this is the letter that Christ is speaking, and he describes himself in verse 8 unto the angel. Remember, the angel is not an angelic being, like Michael, Gabriel, is the pastor. The word angel literally means messenger. This is the person who's the messenger, brings the message of God to these people. So you can say unto the pastor of the church, Smyrna, these things write, saith, and now he describes himself. Jesus describes himself in two ways. Letter A, he calls himself what? The first and the last. Christ is portrayed as the eternal one, in this definition, description of himself, I am the Alpha and the Omega in chapter 1, verse 11, the first and the last. 
chapter 1, verse 17, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Revelation 22, 13, he says, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. These are words that all describe him as an eternal being. God has no beginning, no ending. He has always existed. And these terms refer to the, his eternal Christ as being the eternal one. The second way he described himself, not only the first and last letter B, it says, which was dead and is what? Alive. And so, interesting, this is a term that separates Christianity from all of the religions. All of the religions had some uh, human person that was their founder, their leader, and if you go to their grave, you'll find the remains. You go to the grave of Jesus Christ, my friend, it's empty because he's not dead, he's alive. So the Lord here describes himself as it was dead, but is alive. In chapter 1, verse 18, it said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. That's the description. We covered that quickly because we looked at that last week. But number two, now look at the commendation the commendation that Christ gave to the church of Smyrna. He said in verse 9, again, he says, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. So Jesus first talks about, he said, I know thy works. What were the works? Letter A, your tribulation. Your tribulation, that means persecution, affliction. These believers are going through hard times, maybe not only physical afflictions, but persecution from uh, the unbelievers. I'm grateful, though we may have afflictions, whether it be uh, mental or physical or financial or marital afflictions. Uh, so far, we don't have too many persecutions, do we? We live in a great country, but if the Lord tarries, I, I believe that we will experience that here in America. And so, but they were experiencing persecution and afflictions. And he says, number one, Christ knew all their sufferings. How many are grateful that the Lord knows what you're going through? He said, I know thy sufferings. He knows exactly what you're experiencing tonight. And uh, many times we, during prayer time, we have unspoken. Because we have issues we do not want to share publicly. And we'd ask people to pray for called unspoken. By the way, the Lord knows the unspoken. He knows exactly what your needs are and what you're going through. That's the God we have. And the persecution they went through, number two, we saw last week, to persecute Christians is to persecute who? Jesus Christ. We saw in the book of Acts when uh, Paul on the road to Damascus, when the Lord appeared to him, uh, there was a great light shone upon him in verse 4 of Acts chapter 9. He fell to the earth and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now, from a human standpoint, Paul was persecuting believers, the church. If you read the word scripture uses of Paul's persecution, he said he made havoc of the church. He slaughtered the church. He went from house to house, arresting them, put them in prison, having put to death. And here Christ said, you're persecuting me. And, uh, Verse 5, and Paul said, at that time, Saul, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. 
And we saw there in Isaiah chapter 16, verse 9, here God is speaking to his people, of his people, saying all their affliction, he was afflicted. And we need to keep that in mind. If you have an ought with another brother, and maybe out of anger, out of carnality, you begin to verbally afflict, verbally do things against them, you know, when you do something against God's people, you're doing something against God himself. Well, to keep that in mind, I don't know about you, that I said, wait a minute now. It's one thing to persecute a Christian, but to, to persecute Christ. And so keep that in mind next time you want to be mean to another believer. He says, I know your tribulation, let it be. He says, also, I know your poverty. Your poverty. The word poverty means talking about extreme poverty. And besides suffering persecution, they were also enduring extreme poverty. But it goes on to say, however, uh, he said, but thou art rich. However, believers may be poor on this earth, but they are rich in heaven. How many are grateful for that? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, it said, and having, all, it said, and having nothing, yet possessing all things. James chapter 2, verse 5, it says, He's speaking to the poor of this world, which are rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom of God. So we may not have much materially speaking on earth, but we have a lot in heaven. He says, though you may be poor, but you are literally rich as God's perspective. Let her see. I know your tribulation, your poverty, and number see your persecutors. He knows our persecutors. They were being persecuted not only by pagan Gentiles, but also hostile Jews. This is a time when Rome was persecuting believers. Many believers had died at the hand of Rome and Caesar. And not only were they being persecuted by the Romans, they were persecuted by Jews. And he says, call them Jews, which are not, although they were physic Jews physically, they were not true Jews spiritually, but also spiritual pagans, which allied and with others, putting Christians to death. Interesting, in the history of the church, the most severe persecutions has come from religionists, from people who claim the name of Christ and persecute the believer. But who is the true instigator of persecution? Satan himself. We saw that there. When he said, but are of the synagogue of Satan. So we saw the description. We saw the commendation. Number three, now the rebuke. Now, you will see on the screen, there's a statement in your notes there from last week's notes, something I said that was wrong. Notice on the notes of your handout to you, I've corrected it on the screen, I believe it is. On the notes of the handout, the rebuke says, of the seven churches, Smyrna is the only one that received no rebuke from the Lord. Put that beside that, that's incorrect. That's wrong. Have you been wrong before? That's wrong. Of the seven churches, Smyrna is one of two churches that received no rebuke from the Lord. The other was the Church of Philadelphia, the sixth church. So there were two of the seven churches that the Lord had nothing negative to say. You know, I always said, each time I talk about this, if the Lord would talk about First Baptist, would he have anything negative to say about us? I would like to think no, but chances are he might have something to say that may not, we not, may not be pleased with. But this church, there was nothing which he could rebuke. Isn't that a great testimony? So uh, that was number three. Number four. Now, I'm going through this quickly because we have went through them already. We'll slow down when we get uh, at the end of this page. Now, number four, the exhortation. 
We saw the description. We saw the commendation, the rebuke, now the exhortation, what he exhorts them to do. In verse 10, he says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. So number letter A, the first exhortation, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear none of those things. If you know that persecution is coming, and hard times coming, Christ says, don't be afraid. I love Psalm 23, verse 4. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Aren't you grateful the Lord goes with us no matter what we, or with us no matter what we go through? Good times, bad times, happy times, sad times. He said, I am with you. So God says, fear, do not be afraid. Let it be. He says, persecution will continue. Now, that's not good news, is it? <laughs> persecution will continue. He goes on to say, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Future tense. They will continue to suffer persecution. And the perpetrator goes on to say, behold, the devil will cast some of you in the prison. So the, the true persecutor of the believer well, it can be traced back to the devil himself. Then it goes on to say the purpose of those trials. It said that ye may be tried. God allows trials in the life of a believer to test us, to try us. In Job 23.10, he said, But he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as what? As gold. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Behold, it said, Beloved, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Trials are just part of life. And we should not think there's something strange that's going to happen to us. They're there to test us, to test our faith. Letter C. Again, the exhortation, be not afraid. Persecution will continue. Letter C. The persecution will be for a limited time. And he says in verse 10, you shall have tribulation 10 days. What does the word 10 days mean? We don't know for certain, but basically there will be an end. It is temporary. We're not, he didn't say you'll be, have tribulation forever. He said for 10 days. So there will be a limit to your persecution. But the last exhortation, he says, be faithful to the end. Be faithful to the end. He said, be faithful unto death. Now, here's where we left off last week. And I want to slow down here. And the question I want to ask, and it's in your notes here, why do Christians suffer? Why does God allow his people to go through hard times? You know, uh, if I were God, I, you know, of course, I'm not God at all. And, but, you know, you think, well, I'd let my people have good times, and the bad people have bad times. <laughs> but God allows his own people to go through tough times. How many say I resemble that remark, Pastor? We all have hard times. So why do Christians suffer? Let me give you four reasons why. I hope you write them down. And the first one, I'll use the word that we call punitive. Punitive, which means he does it to discipline or correct us. Sometimes, hard times, suffering is to correct us, to discipline us when we do wrong. A verse will be on the screen. is, in, is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30. He said, but when we are judged, talking about the Lord, we are what? Chastened 
of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. So we will not suffer condemnation. There is no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. Amen. But we will be chastened of him. And many times some of our suffering is because God is chastening us. It's a punitive action on God's part to discipline and correct us. Hold your finger right there. Go with me now to Hebrews, please. Hebrews in chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Here's a whole chapter that deals with the punitive actions of God upon his children. Hebrews 12. Keep your finger in Revelation. We're coming back to this. We're talking about why do Christians suffer. And some of our suffering is God's judgment upon us because things need to be corrected in our lives. Discipline. I don't know about you. As a child, I experienced discipline from my parents quite often. And it says Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 5. Hebrews 12 verse 5. He said, have you forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto what? Children. So notice he's speaking to children, Christians here. He says, my son, despise not thou the what? The chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. So God sometimes chastens his children. He has to rebuke us for doing wrong. And why does he do that? Read the next verse. Verse 6, for whom the Lord hateth, he chasteneth. Say that? Oh, I misread that. For whom the Lord dislikes. No. For whom the Lord what? Loveth. He chasteneth and scourgeth. Circle it, please. Every son. Every son whom he receives. How about you? My father loved me a lot when I was a kid. <laughs> and I deserved every bit of it. But as a parent, I understand that we do not enjoy chastising our children. We do it because we love them. They're doing something that will hurt them. It could ruin their life if it continues. So we correct them but through punitive action. And it goes on to say in verse 7, it said, If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with what? As sons. For what son is he whom the father chastens not? God does not chasten the unbeliever. Chastening is an act of a father upon a disobedient child. Chasing is what God does to his children. It's an, a form of, and if you wouldn't, let me show you, look on the screen there. And chastening is a word we don't use much today. So what is chastening, by the way? Hopefully you already know. Uh, in uh, Proverbs 3, verse 11, I believe it'll be on the screen. It says, my son, this is the quote that uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 quoted from, the verse my son despise not the chase of the Lord, neither be weary of his what? Correction. So chastisement is God correcting us when we do wrong. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son whom he delights. So the first reason Christians suffer is because of punitive action. God correcting us. How many have experienced that before? And the scripture says everyone at some times will experience God's chastisement. So the first reason a believer's suffer is punitive. Number two, the second reason why do Christians suffer? The next one is preventative. Preventative. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, the verse will be on the screen. Paul was speaking here, and the context here, he had a thorn in the flesh. If you remember that, 
a thorn in the flesh and some physical infirmity. And he said, verse 12, chapter 12, verse 7, he said, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations there was given to me a what? A thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure. So this was a preventative action on God's part. And the context here, the Lord, Paul talks about how he had visions in heaven of God giving him uh, visions. He was called up to the third heaven, he said. And we know that who wrote most of the New Testament? Paul did. And through these abundance of revelations, it would have been easy for men to exalt him above measure. It might be even easy for Paul to exalt himself. Look at all that the Lord gave me. He didn't give to you. So lest he should be exalted above measure to prevent him of being exalted above measure by himself or by other men, God gave him a thorn in the, the flesh. And it is believed to be some physical infirmity. And notice here, it says, a messenger of Satan, and Satan used it to buffet him. So is some form of suffering he went through in his ministry, and it was a, given to him as a preventative means, lest he should be exalted of a measure. And I'm going to talk more about that this coming Sunday. And we're talking about in the context that God's grace is sufficient. But talking about here, that many times suffering we go through is not only being punitive, corrective measures, but preventative. He may be preventing you uh, something in your life. Number three, number three, the third reason Christians suffer is purification. Not only punitive, preventative, but purification. A verse we looked at already in Job 23.10. Job said, but he knoweth my way, the way that I take. When he hath tried me, tests me, he talks about, I shall come forth as what? Gold. If you read what Job went through, he went through a lot, didn't he? And I pray none of us ever have to go through that. But one of the reasons he did that was to purify Job. In fact, Job said that he knows my way. And though he's tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Look with me now, if you please. Keep your finger right here. Go in, in Revelation. Go to Psalm 66, please. Psalm 66. Here it talks about the Lord testing us for the purpose to purify us. Many times he allows us to go through hard, difficult times, suffering, to purify our lives. How many of you find that you pray more when you're hurting or when you're sick or when you're suffering? I don't know about you. I do. I think, you know, interesting. Uh, somebody brought my attention last Sunday. They had in their Bible, they said, Pastor, I realized it was two years ago this month that you had your heart attack. And so that's true. But, you know, during that, you know, I was out for about four months. I don't know about you. I prayed more in four months than I did all my life. <laughs> And so, uh, and the Lord is working. But anyway, many times he allows a hard time to purify us. In Psalm 66, verse 10, it said, For thou, O God, hath what? Proved means test us. Thou hast tried us as silver is what? How, how is silver tested and tried 
through heat, through testing. Uh, when a, a silversmith, a someone who works with metal, the way they would produce pure silver, pure gold, is they put it onto extreme heat, and they bring it to a liquid form, which bring all the purities to the surface. Then they scrape it off, and they purify it, make it more valuable, more uh, purified. And the Lord allows us to go through, I use the word, hot times, heat, suffering, persecution. And it brings impurities to the top, brings it to our attention, and we can scrape it off. In fact, it says in Proverbs 17, 3, it's on your screen there, the finding pot is for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord trieth what? The heart. Just like a silversmith puts silver in a finding pot or gold there to purify it, God does that to us. So many times suffering is used to purify God's people. And, and usually when we go through hard times, it calls us to look inwardly. Lord, is there something in my life that's not pleasing to you? Something I'm not doing right? And, and Lord, you got my attention. How many times did God got your attention that way? He does that. And there's a purpose for that. So to purify us. Number four. The fourth reason why believers suffer. There's a punitive. There's preventative. There's purification. Number four, there's character building. Character building. The fourth reason Christians suffer. Character building. And the verses be on the screen. Romans chapter 5 verse 3. It says, and not only so, but we glory in what? Tribulations, persecutions, knowing that tribulation worketh what? Patience. That tribulation, in fact, it says the same thing in James chapter 1, verse 3. Knowing this, that the trying, the testing of your faith, worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire wanting. It means lacking nothing. So here, testing, hard times, builds character, the character of perseverance, patience. Uh, there's two ways you can get patience. How many people say, Pastor, sometimes I need to be more patient? Uh, I find that I need to be more patient with my grandkids. They, <laughs> they can be very noisy. They can be very uh, active and just bug you to death. How many understand what I'm talking about? And so, uh, Lord, give me patience. There's two ways we can get patience. One is not so good. One is the better way. One of them is through tribulation. Tribulation worketh patience. But there's another way. You know, what's the other way? Through the Holy Spirit. One of the character traits or one of the, 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 what the Holy Spirit produces is patience. So I can be controlled by the Spirit of God and have patience. You know, there's love, joy, long-suffering, patience, what the Holy Spirit can do. So I don't know about you. I'd rather have it from the Holy Spirit <laughs> than have it through hard times. But either way, the Lord wants to develop character in us. Character building is the next reason. So let's move on. Number five, number five, we're talking about the description, the commendation, the rebuke, the exhortation, and number five, the promise. Number five, the promise. And uh, the promise we have here, letter A, is what you see in chapter uh, 3 there, verse chapter 2, verse 10, is a reward. He promises a reward. The latter part of verse 10, he says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. 
Remember he said, you're going to suffer. You'll go through persecutions. It'll only be for a short period of time, 10 days. But he says, be faithful unto death. I will uh, give thee a crown of life. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is a man that endureth temptation. When he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Here's a question for you. What would motivate the believer to endure temptation and to be faithful even until death? What would motivate the believer to endure temptation and be faithful unto death? The answer is right there the latter part of verse 10. He's, and he goes on to say, uh, James, sorry, the latter part of James 1.12. He said, he shall receive a crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that what? To love him. To love him. Love for God enables believers to undergo trials and be steadfast unto the end. Love for God enables believers to undergo trials and to be steadfast then, James said, for he is tried and he shall receive a crown of life which the Lord promised to them that love him. Do not turn there, but Revelation 12, 11 is talking about believers that were being persecuted by Satan during the tribulation period. Revelation 12, 11, it says, and they, these Christians overcame Satan by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. They loved not their lives unto death. They gave their lives for Christ. So listen carefully, please. When it comes to being a martyr, I don't know about you, I, that, I don't like the idea of being a martyr. I'm talking about a person who gives his life for Christ. But when it comes to a person giving his life for the faith, for Christ, it, depend, it depends on, on who we love the most. Do we love the Lord or do you love ourselves? Why would some Christians not be willing to give their lives? Because they love their life. These believers in Revelation 12, 11 said they love not their lives to death. So if you ever got in a situation that your life is threatened for the cause of Christ, and, and whether you would publicly announce him or deny him, if you denied him, it would cost your life. But if you denied him, uh, you say you get to let set free. What would you do? And your answer would is this: depends on who you love the most. Do you love yourself and deny the Lord? I know Him because I want to die, or you love the Lord and give a life for Him. And these believers went through persecution and received the crown of life that God promised to them that love Him. We're just about done here because we've got just a couple more minutes. I wish we had, there's another crown that involves a believer's love. You know what crown that is? There were five crowns mentioned in the Bible. This is talking about the crown of life given to them that love Lord. Well, there's another crown that involves a believer's love. It's called the crown of righteousness. Listen to this, please. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Paul said, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. 
Henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that what? Love is appearing. So to love the appearing of Christ, you get the crown of righteousness. To love the Lord, you get a crown of life. So both of these involve the believer's love. The last promise, we're going to conclude with this, is a promise and reward in uh, the book of Revelation chapter 2, but also a promise they would not experience the second death. They would not experience the second death. Look in chapter 2, Revelation 2, verse 11. And this is a promise made not to the, just to the church of Smyrna, but to all believers. He said, he that hath ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Now he's not talking about the piece of flesh on the side of your head. Most of us all have an ear on a head. This is talking about the spiritual hearing. That he hath an ear, the spiritual ear, to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. He said, he that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Now, this is written to all believers, not just the church of Myrna, because he concludes, he that hath here, let him hear what he says to the churches, generally. So the promise is given to the overcomer. is referring general to all believers. But what, is that? what do you have to be to be an overcomer? To be saved, exactly. In 1 John chapter 5, so number one, that would conclude, all believers are overcomers. All believers are overcomers. In 1 John 5, verse 4, it said, Whatsoever to me is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So it's our faith in Christ that makes us overcomer. So he's speaking to believers here, and the promise to the believer is this. You will not experience the second death. Now, what is the second death? By the way, if there's a second death, how many agree there has to be a first death? <laughs> so to go to heaven, there are two births. There's a physical birth and a spiritual birth. Jesus said, you must be born again. But also, there's two deaths. There's a physical death and a spiritual death. And the second death is the spiritual death. And the second death is to be cast into the lake of fire. In Revelation 20, verse 14, it said, in death and hell, where he cast like a fire, this is the what? Second death. So what he's saying here, believer, Christian, you have a promise from God because you've trusted Christ Savior. You will never go to hell. How many can say amen? <laughs> you will not experience the second death. The second death is for those who only been born once. Let me close with this. It's 8 o'clock. If you're born once, you'll die twice. If you're born twice, you only die once. What do you mean, Pastor? If you're only born once of the flesh, we've all been born of the flesh. I was born of the flesh September 15, 1953. That's your physical birthday. If all you've been born of the flesh physically, you die, you're going to die 
you'll, you'll die physically and you'll die spiritually by going to a place called hell. But hallelujah if you're born twice. If you're born of the flesh, which you all have, the fact that you're here, but have you been born again by the Spirit of God, by trusting Christ as Savior? And if you've been born twice, if the Lord tarries, you're going to die once. You'll die physically. And to be absent from the body is to be what? Praise the Lord. However, let's close with this. Apostle Paul said there will be a generation of believers who will not even experience the first death. Behold, I show you mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. If the Lord would come back tonight at the rapture, you would not even die physically. We would be caught up directly to heaven and bypass even the first death. I don't know about you. How many looking forward to that? And I believe, of course, so many people have. Paul believed this, too, in his time. I believe we're living in the days we're going to see Christ come again. And I, Dr. Cameron, on the close of this, my favorite Bible teacher in Bible college, he always said, I'm not looking for the undertaker. I'm looking for the uppertaker. Amen. <laughs> so, my friend, have you been born twice? Have you been born of the f flesh and of the spirit? Have you, been, have you trusted Christ Savior? Then the Lord has a promise for you. You will not experience a second death. You will not go to hell. What a promise we have of the Lord. Let's bow together, please. Christian, what a wonderful promise. It ought to motivate us to love the Lord and serve him and honor him with our lives because he promised us when we trust him as Savior, we would never experience the second death. But he also promises reward for those who serve him and those that maybe even give their physical life to the Lord. He said, I'll give you a crown of life. And that's given to those who love him. So if it comes to the time, Christian, you ever have your life is put on the line for the Lord, who would be, who would be exposed who, that you love the most? Would it be yourself or to be the Lord? Would you deny the Lord that you might live longer? Or would you confess him publicly and might lose your life? I hope it does not come in our lifetime, but that could happen. But the question is, who do you love the most? yourself, or the Lord. I trust that we love the Lord enough that we will endure temptation and testing in this life and even endure to the end, the Lord might grant us the crown of life. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the letter that you wrote to that church. May we learn from it that we go through hard times, persecution. You understand, you know, and you use that to work in our lives to make us better Christians. In Christ's name we pray, amen. God bless you. You just made a